C'è la luna mezza mare, mamma mia, mamma redare. Welcome everybody. Hollywood Godfather Podcast coming live from New York City. And we have a show now you're not going to believe tonight, man. First of all, our host, co-host Pat Picciarelli, co-author of the book, My Millennium. Megan is with us. And a guy I know most of his life. He's changed my life numerous times and having me on some of the best films he's ever made. Brett Ratner, my man. Brett, welcome to Hi, Hi, everybody. Hi, Megan. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Brett. I'm so happy to be here because I want everyone to know that uh, I think between six and seven years old, I thought that Johnny Russo was my father because we would go to the pool at Caesar's Palace. My mom was this gorgeous young Jewish girl from Miami Beach, and Johnny Russo would sit next to my mom every single day by the pool and was ordering drinks and whatever else, whatever was happening there. I said, who is this guy? Is this my dad? Why is he with us every day? I mean, <laughs> and I was like, literally my entire, I just remember my time at Caesar's Palace. I remember the Alan King tennis classic, right? right is that correct? Right. Was there, I was a big tennis fan and I was friends with, it was, it was, a, it was, I was confused. It was either he was my dad or as either he was my dad or this guy named Leonard Rosen, but Leonard Rosen was like 90 years old. Yeah, no, he was, I knew so, Leonard <laughs> Rosen well. No, yeah. so, so Johnny was the most charming, most handsome, and I was very possessive and protective um, of my mom. And, and I didn't, um, you know, and I was like, but I liked him because he would play with me in the pool. You know, I would, he would order me cheeseburger, French fries, milkshakes. Johnny was the first man in my life that ever spoiled me so then when i became a movie director i said wait a second i gotta i gotta put johnny russo in, in one of my movies i mean it was mandatory it was obligatory um not because of all the milkshakes and and uh cheeseburgers he bought me by the pool when i was six years old at uh in caesar's palace um but because you know i actually thought he was my father for about a year of my life <laughs> I could have been. I should have asked. I should have asked him for allowance. I think he would give me like a chip, but it was like a, you know, it was like a five. It was a five hundred dollar chip, but I didn't know what to do with it because I was only six. I couldn't even get in the casino. <laughs> well, Pancho, Pancho Gonzalez. Johnny was back then. Back then, Johnny was handing around, handing out five hundred dollar chips as tips to the to all the. Uh, to all the guys by the all the pool guys he had the best he had the i know why my mom obviously johnny was you know this gorgeous handsome charming uh movie star but also um he was the biggest tipper at the pool johnny i mean you know he had the the best lounge chairs and johnny i've never seen johnny's real skin color okay because he's 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 been tanned since 1976. Were you tanning? Were you tanning before that, Johnny? When you were young, always a boy chick. You were yeah, always. I, I remember. Oh, I remember when we did Red Dragon. I came on the set, and he called the makeup people over right away. So you got to make him light. You can't be tan. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of makeup. That was a big oh, yeah. job. Yeah, I'm not that kidding. That was a huge job. That was a huge job to get you to be white. Oh, wait, but for happened? you, oh, wait. I, I shut off my video. I'm sorry. So. No, but That's for okay. you to get, I mean, I didn't know we were filming this. I would have gotten all, you know, made up or something. I, no, I it's like all right. Uh, we're all very relaxed here. <laughs> don't worry. But the interesting thing, most people don't know, 
I, maybe I, maybe you don't even remember, but you were also on the set of Scarface. Yes, and that's, I that, remember. That, that I think that I gave remember. you the bug. That was the first. That was the first movie set I was ever on. I always loved movies, and uh, I dreamed of being a director. And I had heard that they were filming a movie in Miami Beach, and uh, I was shocked because Miami Beach was just a bunch of you know altacockers. It was a bunch of old people. Uh, you know, I, I there was no filming. It, this is pre Miami Vice. I think this was nineteen eighty. Oh yeah. Two. And Miami Vice then came to Miami and everybody would like, you know, watch them film and stuff, which is really cool. But before that, I think the last movie they did was Jerry Lewis at the Fountain Blue playing the bellboy or something, you know, they're <laughs> in, in like in like the 60s. So yeah. nobody was filming because Miami Beach is very specific. It's, it's, it's a character right um, in the movie. And so I my mom would let me skip school every day. I would go to the set and watch them film Scarface. And I'll, remember, Oliver Stone was the writer. Brian De Palma was the director. Right. Al Pacino, Stephen Bauer was the, you know, I'm surprised Johnny's not in that movie. But anyway, I would I was just sitting by the pool at the Fountain Blue and the AD said, you know, Brett, come be in the scene. They knew me by my first name because I was on set every day. They thought I was like the son of one of the grips or the electrics or something. And they said, Brett, go stand in the scene. We need a kid. And when De Palma saw me, he said, no, no, Brett's too old for this. Move him out. Move him. He's got to be a smaller kid. Remember when he does the thing with the tongue, right, 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 with the girl. And so I'm in the background. You can see me in the background by the pool, and it's a great story. I was watching. Um, I keep losing you. Wait, hold on. We got you. Yeah. Okay. I was watching, but I'm trying to charge my phone. Oh, hold on. <laughs> wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. It's fine. So wait. Can you see me? No. No. Nope. Oh, no. Wait. Okay, wait. Okay, hold on. Okay, yeah. So, so I was I was in the scene, and I remember I would stand as close as I could to the comedy and to watch him, you know, talking to Pacino. When I first saw Pacino, I had only seen him on set, and I thought he was really Cuban because he was always talking in that Cuban accent. Right. And Stephen Bauer was a real Cuban. And then when I when I, I thought I was in earshot, I was in earshot of him talking to De Palma. And when De Palma was talking to him, he sounded like a New York Italian guy. Right. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. He was, you know, he's playing this character. And that's when I started piecing it together. Remember, I was only 11 or 12 years old at the time, 12 years old. And then I saw De Palma directing him. And then I watched Pacino do what De Palma asked him to do. And 25 years later, when I'm when I meet Pacino, I say, you know, you're the reason I became a director, basically. And he asked me for the story. And I said, well, at first, I thought maybe I want to be an actor because I was so impressed with how you were portraying this Cuban when you were like an Italian guy from New York. But then I heard that Palma give you direction and watched you do it. And I said, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy telling you what to do. <laughs> and, and that's how uh and that's how we Pacino and I became friendly um and uh it was for me it was it was just an amazing experience I mean it connected all the dots for me you know when I saw remember I grew up in Miami Beach I think part of part of my um the fact that I grew up in Miami that I was around guys like Gianni Russo in Vegas that I was around guys like Cliff Perlman who ran the casino that I was around guys like Alvin Malnick and 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 all these amazing colorful characters, Bobby Rothbard, 
you know, was a was a famous guy in Miami, and and um, you know, all these all these in, Miami was kind of an amalgamation of of all these interesting characters from kind of the north northeast of the United States. You know, New York guys, Cleveland guys, Chicago guys, and all these characters I grew up around. In fact, I'm the only. I don't know if Johnny remembers this. I I'm the only person in my generation who actually personally knew Meyer Lansky. That's so right. Meyer lived in a in a building in the Imperial House, which is next to my building, which is the carriage house. And every day after school, I would ride my bicycle. I had a Huffy, and I would ride it up and down <laughs> Collins Avenue. And Meyer Lansky would would walk his dog. The famous every dog. Every single day, <laughs> he would walk his dog, and every day he would stop me, and we would talk. And I just remember, you know, you'd say, oh, what's your name, Brett Ratner? Oh, who's your grandfather? Lee Ratner. Oh, yeah, I love your grandfather, blah, blah, blah. But for hours, I'm not exaggerating, he would sit and talk to me on the corner. You know, and we walk pe People would call my mother and say, are you scared? Your son is on Collins Avenue in the middle of the street for hours. I went to the store, came back, he was still there talking with Meyer Lansky. Now, I didn't know he was a gangster. I just thought... Okay. I just thought, a nice old man. I just thought, nice old man. And we became so close that every Sunday he would have dinner with his wife at the time, Teddy was her name, right. at, at the Villa Capri restaurant, which is this restaurant owned by this guy named Nando. And it was a very kind of authentic family-style restaurant. And Meyer and I would eat there every Sunday. That's fabulous. His, Teddy, Teddy would call me and say, Meyer wants you to come down and join him for dinner. And I didn't know until my mom said, you know, this guy is a, is a gangster, but I don't care. He's your friend if he's your friend. But he was in his 80s. Oh, yeah. And I'll never forget one day he called me and said, will you walk me? Will you come with me to, to Mount Sinai Hospital? And that's when they diagnosed him with cancer. I, I, we took a bus. Oh, wow. Him and I were on a bus together. He wanted me to walk him because maybe he was feeling a little right. lightheaded or something or nervous. And we get to this Mount Sinai. He went into we went into the radiology department. So I remember my grandfather was a radiologist there, and they read his X-ray, and that's when they diagnosed him. I think it was lung cancer that he died from. But we were so close that when he died, Teddy gave me all his personal belongings. Oh wow! Not all of them, but gave me wow. his pass his passport, his his U.S. Uh, naturalization citizenship papers. They gave me a letter that he wrote gold in my ear. Gold in my ear because what happened was he he fled to the to Israel because right. he's like a Jew's right is to go to Israel, right. okay, is to have a homeland no matter who they are, and the U.S. government put so much pressure on on Israel to not accept him as a citizen, which was unheard of back then. I remember, but of course, all the that. the U.S. was funding Israel, and the the Justice Department blocked Gold in my ear. And he wrote a personal letter to Golda Meir, which I have to this day, which said basically, um, how can you believe the U.S. government? How can you believe, you know, I'm a Jew, whether they consider me a gangster or whatever, this is my homeland. And speaking of gangsters, the real gangsters are the Bronfmans and the Kennedys. <laughs> <laughs> That's said, true. I'm not a gangster. I'm a businessman. I'm in the casino business. I'm in loans. I'm in, you know, I'm in all these businesses. The real gangsters are the Kennedys and the Bronfman. And the Bronfman. Yeah, that was your prohibition. They all got in the business from prohibition. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. Prohibition, exactly. And so, so he gave you uh, so, right. He gave you uh, a lot of his personal items. All, all, and the only and so basically what happened was the granddaughter of Teddy. Now remember, I don't know if you remember the story. It's brilliant. Meyer married Teddy, okay, which is his, his last wife before he passed, and she had a son named Dickie Schwartz. Do you remember this? Yeah. So Dickie Schwartz was a Jewish kid, but he was a young. He was. I heard he was an obnoxious kind of Jewish guy, and he was going around uh, Miami acting like a big shot. I'm Meyer Lansky's son, but it was his. It was his stepson, his stepson basically. Right. It was his stepson, and he was going around and 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 um, you know, a uh, bit of a bit of a you know a, a hothead, you know. Um, and Meyer is the opposite. Meyer was low key. Oh my God! Yeah was the most you know real down-to-earth person was never flashy like i said we took the bus to the to, you know he could oh, afford yeah. a, you know a driver or whatever we took we was an old man we got on the bus and we drove we went to the hospital this guy dickie schwartz was in the forge which is the uh, most famous restaurant in miami beach and he got into an argument with the son of gary teriaka over the bill but it was like, oh, I'm paying the bill. No, I'm paying the bill. Fuck. This is basically what the argument was. It wasn't a real. An right. idiot pulls out a gun. The stepson of Meyer pulls out a gun. And the gun goes off and kills this kid, Gary Teriaka, who's the son of a made mafioso guy. And his father <laughs> owned What happened to that? They owned the hotel on 79th Street. No, but I'm going to. So the Teriaka hotel. was a real. There were. They were real. There was a real guy, this guy right. Gary Teriaka, and I don't know because I wasn't there and I was a kid. But this is what I heard. So anyway, weeks later, so he gets out of bail, out of jail on bail. He's waiting for the arraignment, and instead of like laying low, not leaving the house, if I killed the son of a made man by accident, even I would like, you know, I would go to Dominican Republic for the rest <laughs> of my life. This guy's, this guy's out in Surfside. He's in, he's in. Uh, what is that called? 71st Street. Remember? Um, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He's on the 71st Street. He was he was all over the place. People were like, "What is he crazy?" And then uh, all of a sudden, he comes out of the uh, some place that he was eating at, on 71st Street. I think it was. I don't remember where it was. Um, it was it was on 71st Street Causeway, and he gets gunned down. He gets killed. And what I heard from from the mythology of, of what I heard is that. The father went to Meyer and said, your son killed my only son. I, I, I want to kill this guy. And I heard that Meyer was like, whatever you got to do, I'm not going to, oh, yeah. we're not going to have a war over, over this. Uh, and they killed him. Right. And, and I was friendly with his son, who was the greatest guy ever, Robbie Schwartz, um, and who I grew up with. I mean, he's older than me, but I grew up with him. And so basically, long story short, uh, they were HBO, I think at the time, or one of the networks were doing a movie about Meyer Lansky oh, that's and this wild. is when Teddy was still alive this was like right when I became a director like in the late 90s and they went they called her up and they said hey we want to do some research I forgot the name of the producer but I was friendly with him and uh, I knew him I knew him after we became friends and the producer called up Teddy and said who can we talk to who's alive who knew Meyer who could talk about Meyer and his persona and his way they said, well, Brett, well, there's this kid, Brett Ratner. And they're like, <laughs> Brett Ratner, the director of Rush Hour, knew Meyer Lansky. Like, yeah, that's him. He's, he, he loved Meyer. Meyer loved him. They were friends. They were, 
and and they were they were they were they were in shock that that um that I actually knew him and they called me and they I guess I I, I gave him some info and some details or stuff. I forgot who played him. Oh wait, was it oh who's the little um the guy from Once Around? Um I oh, forget well, the actor. Yeah. Um the Jewish guy. Uh, yeah, the guy who dies of a heart attack and once around. What's his name? Yeah, no, no, not him. He didn't play Meyer. The guy, oh. the son-in-law in the movie. I love Once Around. That's one of my favorite. Me too. It was a great movie. Brilliant. Lassie Hallstrom directed it. But anyway, the, the, here's the thing about about um, the whole story. I was saying is, growing up in that world, not because of Meyer, but just growing up around all these interesting characters, and Johnny was a part of that. Johnny was there. You know, uh, Johnny used to work. Used to work at the at which place? At at at. You know, my grandfather owned the Peppermint Lounge in New York. Right. So they had a Peppermint Lounge right there, right. but there was, what was the place you used to work at? A penthouse for Al. The penthouse, right. Yeah, on 79th Street Causeway. Amazing, on 79th Street Causeway, that's what I'm saying, 79th Street Causeway yeah. I was talking about. So there's all these 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 great characters. I used to work two hours Miami. a night, midnight to two, and then we'd go to Fun Fair. <laughs> Al and I. <laughs> exactly. Fun fair, right. That was my favorite place, fun fair. They would sell like orange Julius's there yep. and hot dogs, right? And so I'm old, just I'm just old enough where I was a kid where I kind of understood how interesting these men were and how how uh, unique they were and how brilliant they were. And and each one of these guys, whether it's Bobby Rothbard, whether it was Al Malnick, whether it was whoever it was, they were they were you know Don, you know Don Sofer who was maybe a generation a little bit earlier than that you know but all these great characters oh, yeah. were in Miami and they were all from mostly from the north from the northeast yeah right and it was it was a scene of cosmic proportion what people don't realize and when I did my research is that you know Vegas at the time back then say in the fifties was kind of a shit kicker town it was like a it was like a western town it was it was mud and and and, and desert and and, yeah, it was and like 59 1959 huh? when they sent me out then they then they started doing what they did i mean right every, and and miami though if you weren't wearing a suit walking down the street you would be arrested oh yeah if you would you would get fined or if you were they would be put, not arrested but they would pull you over they would pull you over and, and say, let me see your ID. If you weren't, everybody at the, you would go to the lobby of the Fountain Blue or the Eden Rock. The Fountain Blue used to have a hundred years of good behavior. Every night, everybody in a suit. Everybody was dressed up. It was, people were glamorous in Miami Beach. Right. Everybody was glamorous. And all the stars, Sinatra and Sammy and all the Rat Pack and all the great comedians and Shecky Green and, 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 and you know, Mel Torme and all the, all the Alan King all performed in all these different, it was all these nightclubs up and down Collins Avenue. And so Miami Beach was just such a unique, interesting place to grow up. And and I, I got um, my education, my early education there of just being around these guys who were wise guys. Or well, you had, one day I'm you had numerous fun. privileges. I, I remember it yeah. well. <laughs> But, but but growing up around guys like Gianni, growing up around all these characters was the greatest education ever. It gave me my street smarts. It gave me, it showed me how to be a winner, right? It showed me how to how to how to be successful, 
how to believe in yourself. And when imagine when I had all these the most successful, powerful guys in the town who treated me like a son, you know, treated me like and and loved me, and, and it gave me so much confidence um, that when I went when I went to Hollywood finally, I was standing out because I was I grew up around I, nobody could shock me, you know, no character, nobody I came across um, could ever rattle me because I I had these guys that were that were kind of my mentors, you know, and that's why I loved having you know and Johnny by the way, I mean what a story. And what a life this guy's had. And, you know, if I ever want to, you know, and what a, but Johnny's a born performer. He's a born entertainer. You know, he, he uh, not only can act, but he can sing, but he can, you know, he, and, 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 and it's his experience and everything. Like I'm, I started losing a little bit of hair back here. Johnny said, get this brush and hit it with the brush and get, get the blood. I mean, his, 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 subtle the subtleties and the the secrets or the knowledge that he has are, i've applied to my everyday life <laughs> well, thank you okay i'm starting to get thin That's back a big here compliment. or where, where where to get the best pasta or what the best wine or whatever it is whatever it is you know johnny now has is a brand right he has his own wine he's doing shows that are selling out he's he's one of the johnny's one of the great characters of all time and that's why, and when I put him in a, in a movie, you know. You put me in a lot of movie, movies. Name all the every movies. Movie, every movie you did. So I, I put you in Family Man. He played a guy from Jersey who who was, you know, from Jersey, didn't know that a Cuban cigar was the ultimate, and he, he would smoke, you know, uh, an American cigar. And he was bragging that smoking an American cigar. He's just, he's adaptable to anything. I put him in Red Dragon. I put him in um, uh, Rush Hour, in the Rush Hour films. I hope you're still getting checked. Oh, yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> I know they've been, they've been they've been dropping lately, but but um, but now with streaming, now that you're going to get a bigger check, I think I, yeah. they're going to be playing it more. And there you go. So I, I'm committed to Johnny. Every movie I, I ever made, Johnny will always have a part. I think only one movie I did, I think X Men. Right. Because I, I was shooting in Canada, you were busy, whatever. I mean, I always offer Johnny. I want him in every film I ever do. Every film I ever do. I so what is it like working with Gianni as an actor? He's great. He'll do as many takes as I want. He loves it as much as I do. So we're there. I'm thinking we're never going to be in this moment here again. Let's milk it. I mean, I remember when we were shooting in, in I got Steve Wynn to give me the Desert Inn in Vegas. Oh my and I God. turned it into the Red Dragon Casino yep. in, in Las Vegas. That's before and they Johnny exploded was, it. Imploded. And Johnny, was, before they imploded it, Johnny was a craps uh, dealer there. No, and, I was the, the pit boss. Oh, you were the pit boss, right? And the, you were the pit boss, and he was kind of running the floor of the of the casino. And he was just—he was natural. I mean, I there was no—I mean, it was just—it couldn't be better. And with Chris Tucker, you know, I have to surround him with people that are very real, that are, and then he it grounds him because he's a comedian. His instinct is to perform, and when he's with Johnny, he knew how to work off of. They worked off of each other in such a brilliant way. Johnny's great at comedy too. You know, he'll deliver it to you very straight, but he's great at feeding. He's doing, he does the assist, right? And that's another great story. When I went to, I wanted to shoot, Rush Hour was subtitled Rush Hour where Brett wants to film. And so I told the studio, I want to film Rush Hour 2 in Vegas. I want to be in Vegas because I knew it was going to be a blast to shoot with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. And I was, I had walked away from, 
I came up with the idea, I pitched it to Jerry Weintraub to do Ocean's Eleven, a remake of Ocean's Eleven. I'll back up for a second. And I hired this writer named Ted Griffin, and I and I was and then I was gonna I was directing Family Man before Oceans, and George Clooney wanted to play the main guy in that movie that I ended up getting Nick Cage to play in that had that scene with Johnny, right? right. And George um, kept talking about Family Man, and I I really wanted Nick Cage. I was set on getting Nicholas Cage, and so I I said to to uh, George Clooney, listen, George, I really want um, you to. You know, I'm developing another movie called Oceans. Oh, I know Oceans very well. He goes, you can't remake that, Brett. That's a masterpiece. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It was the Rat Pack. They were they were doing one take, two takes the most. They were drunk the whole oh, time. Right. They were, I was with them every night. And they were doing two. That, they were doing two shows a night at the Sands at the same time. Exactly, exactly. I said that that movie is not a masterpiece. I mean, it's a classic movie, but you always I always think of remaking a movie that's that's a good story, but it's flawed. And it was flawed because they were just putzing around oh, making they the were movie. Discussing. It was fun for them. And, and 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 so basically, long story short, so George said, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. You cannot remake it. You cannot touch that movie. That movie is a classic. That movie is a masterpiece. End up, Jerry comes to me and says, okay, Brett, we're ready to go make the movie. We're going to get George Clooney. I said, oh, wow, really? <laughs> and, I, and I was going to put, my version of Oceans was all the scumbag, all the dirtbags in Hollywood. You know, Sean Penn, Nicolas Cage, Charlie Sheen, you know, all the guys. And I was going to get Jerry Lewis and Don Rickles to be the two guys, the older guys, right, in the movie. And and so so um, I but it, the Rush Hour 2 script comes in and I said, can you just hold oceans until I finish Rush Hour? They said, no, we just want to make it now. And they went and they hired uh, Steven Soderbergh to do it. And I was like, oh, can you believe George Clooney's doing the movie? Oh, I'm sorry, Steven Soderbergh. George Clooney agreed when Soderbergh, when Soderbergh came on the movie, that George Clooney agreed to do the movie. But what happened was I go to Vegas and I cannot find a casino that they would let me shoot in because we weren't just like Ocean's Eleven where there was like just scenes in there. We were blowing shit up. We were shooting guns. We were having fight sequences. I mean, it was like a huge thing. So no casino would let us shut down part of the casino. So I had to find a casino that was closed already. And I wanted it to be very glamorous and very nice. And the only casino was the was the, um, Desert, Inn. the Desert Inn. And all of a sudden, uh, my producer said, I got bad news. I said, we called the Desert Inn. Steve Wynn bought it, and he's going to implode it to build a $2 billion casino there, the Wynn. Right. And, and I was like, oh, my God. I said, oh, no. And, and he said, the studio recommends you go to Atlantic City. And I'm like, Atlantic City? That's a shithole. Rush hour in Atlantic City? What are we going to shoot? It's the freaking Trump? I mean, I was like, no way are we shooting in Atlantic City. I mean, I'd rather go to Macau or somewhere. But I wanted it to be in Vegas. The story was written for Vegas. And so I cold call Steve Wynn. Yeah, and even though the producer said he said no, they're in one week they're blowing up the the desert in. I remember so the I, whole time. I, I Elaine, Steve. Elaine, his wife then was on the set every day. <laughs> and I cold called Steve Wynn, and I said, Mister Wynn, this is this is Brett Ratner. He goes, I uh, from Rush Hour. He goes, I told your people I'm blowing up the building. I can't. I, I he was like really short with me, and I said, but Mister Wynn, I, I, I'm I'm desperate. I, I can't find it. 
Grand Casino because he also had the machines in there. It would have cost millions of dollars of to bring the tables and the machines in to the into the casino. And and he said, "What's your name again?" I said, "Brett Ratner." He said, "Brett Ratner." He said, "Are you related to Lee Ratner?" I said, "Yes." I said, "Lee Ratner is my grandfather." And there's like silence on the phone. And I said, and you know, Al Malnick raised me. He's like my father. That's the end of it. And, right? then, yeah. <laughs> and then more silence on the phone. And he says, how long do you need the casino for? And I said, I need the casino literally actually for two months, Mr. Wynn. And there's like silence <laughs> pauses. And he goes, I'll delay the implosion of the casino. And he delayed the implosion of the Desert Inn to let me film the movie and would come down every day to the set to visit me. Elaine was there too. Right. And, and you know, he, he was blind. He couldn't see it, but he had the greatest time. We became very close. And it shows you, it's like when you have friends, like, yeah, like, like Al Malik or, or, uh, <laughs> or, or Lee Ratner. Lee, Lee had, had my grandfather, and this is what was amazing. I call up Lee Ratner and say, hey, Lee, I mentioned your name. And I and and Steve Wynn gave me my grandfather was alive at the time and gave, Steve Wynn gave me the casino. He goes, oh, he's a good kid. What casino? I said Desert Inn. He goes, oh, I was there. And he tells me a story that he was. So remember, Howard Hughes was living in the penthouse of the Desert Inn. Right. He owned the casino and he sold it to the wise guys after. Right. But when he was in, he was paranoid. He was a germaphobe. My grandfather told me he was negotiating for on behalf of. Howard Hughes, the sale of the casino, but he was inside the hotel room. And then when I told Al Malnick that Steve Wynn gave me the casino, he said, oh, I remember being at the Desert Inn. I was on the other side of the door buying the casino from Howard Hughes for my, for who I was representing. Right. And so what a, what a small world that both my grandfather and Al Malnick both, you know, were in the middle of that deal with Howard Hughes when he sold the Desert Inn. And, of course, that's why someone like Steve Wynn is like, oh, okay, well, you know, yeah, well, Brett's name is Well, Ratner. Your, your grandfather. I mentions Al. I don't know if you even know this, Brett. Your grandfather was partners with Matty and Yelly, Matty the Horse, with all the clubs in New York, the Pentman Lounge yeah. and all that. I don't know who Matty the Horse was, but I only knew Charlie the Blade. Oh, yeah. Well, so yeah. Mike so my course. grandfather told me the story that he had financed the the Capri. Is it the Capri in, in, in Cuba, in Havana? Right. The Capri in Havana. He financed the Capri in Havana because he was, my grandfather basically was a street kid from Chicago and he made millions of dollars with rat poison. He bought warfarin, but not, not the, the drug warfarin, which is a blood thinner. They were testing on rats and it was killing rats instantly. And he bought it as a rat poison. It was a medicine for people, but he bought the rights to sell it as a rat poison and did radio advertising back in the day in the 50s and built this thing called Decon. Remember Decon of rat poison and bug spray and ended up selling it to like Sterling Pharmaceuticals for like hundreds of millions of dollars in the, in the 50s, wow. in the 50s. And his friends from Chicago were Bugsy Siegel, Lucky Luciano. Of course, but he yeah. was a Jew. He was a Jewish guy, and what did they admire most? The mob, they admired they admired money. And he was the richest guy out of Chicago. <laughs> and they went to him and asked him to loan him the money to build the casinos in Havana. And he told me that he said, I'll put up the money for the Capri in Havana, 
but on one condition you make Charlie the Blade the casino manager. Sure. And Charlie the Blade, I don't know, I don't know who he was. And then because his best friend, my grandfather's best friend, was a guy by the name of Johnny Beals. Johnny Belo. Did you know him? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And Johnny Belo, ironically, got killed walking out of my grandfather's office on 71st Street. Because he had his office there. And Johnny Belo came out. I don't know why they killed him. I don't know the story. Um, my grandfather wasn't there that day. And he walked out of the office and got killed uh, walking out of the office. But I established his connection to Charlie the Blade and all these. So all these colorful characters, you know, um, and guys. Well, they, they were, were so they, they were only six guys controlling Cuba at that time. Yeah. So that that's why. And Chicago was a big over there with Maya and Frank Costello. Yeah, so so my why. grandfather was like loaning money to the to these guys to build their casinos because he had a lot of cash. It was a legitimate know? money, that's why. And it was legitimate, yeah. And and so but there were such great places, you know, the penthouse, um oh my the Peppermint Lounge, what the there was other. What were the other uh, places in Miami Beach? Oh my really God, famous? Dino's, Dino's Den, Jilly's, Jilly South, everything wow. was there. Jilly, oh wow, wow. And then wow. B. Morley's Mouse Trap was even bigger than than uh, the Playboy Club. Wow. We had more fun on that strip, Marlon. And it's oh funny because right at the end of that strip, and Collins Avenue was the the Janina Hotel, which the old man Teriyaki owned. Oh my God! Wow. No, the that's Delito, why. you mean the Delito? Yeah. Yeah, the Delito was amazing. Right. Yeah, but there was uh, again all my education came from just listening, just being around these great characters, overhearing the conversations, and you know these guys are businessmen, but but yeah. you know no judgments. I mean, but but uh, but. You know, Johnny's the last, the last man standing. Johnny's the... Uh, and I'm not going nowhere you know. either. <laughs> not going anywhere. <laughs> well, Brett, I can't and, thank and, you and so, enough. And, I, and, I, and, and by the way, years and years and years ago, Johnny introduced me to his daughter, Gia. Oh, my God. He always became my son-in-law. <laughs> I, I was in love with her. She was so beautiful. Most beautiful young Italian uh, princess and so smart, so so successful, right? What is she? Oh what is God, she doing yeah. now? She has a she has a big business, right? Yeah, she's she's partners with Sarah Michelle Gell in a food line. She has about three hundred items at uh, a Target. Wow. And you you guys used to meet every Sunday up here. Um, what was that place on Sunday nights on First Avenue, Second Avenue? You were going to NYU at the time. Yeah, yeah. And she was the loveliest girl, but I was a little scared. I didn't want to, I knew at the time, every time I had a girlfriend, I, they ended up hating me. And I thought if this girl hates me, Johnny's going to just, she, he's going <laughs> to off me. I, I can't, I can't mess with, I no. can't mess with Johnny's daughter. I don't want to, but you, you, you were like a son to like you mentioned Al, certain people early on with yeah. us. We watched yeah. you. We were, I mean, to watch you achieve what you did and you said you were going to do it every step of the yeah. way. And you did it. That's, I mean, that's the thing. And I just positive. I, I, I tell everybody, I said, if you, you know, you have to visualize it. Every day I thought about making movies. I didn't know I was going to be making $200 million movies. I didn't know what the level I was going to do. My dream was not to have a big house, not to have, you know, big cars, you know. To mention your to, house, let our audience know who used to own the house you're sitting in right so now. So my, ho my house was Ingrid Bergman's estate. And she 
she sold it then to Kim Novak. See that? That's the projection booth right there. Right. You see that? And here's the, oh, wow. the this uh, house is amazing. <laughs> I'll give you guys a tour if you want. Um, I don't think we have the time. We have to do it again. We have to do this yeah, again. We'll, this is amazing okay, interview. But anyway, it, 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 Ingrid Bergman sold it to Kim Novak because she knew her from Hitchcock. Right. And then Alan Carr uh, bought the house. Yeah, you bought it from Alan, Alan Carr. Carr bought, before Alan Carr, I bought it from Alan Carr who produced Grease. But before Alan Carr bought it, Jimmy Kahn, while they were filming Godfather 2, I think, lived here. He was playing basketball in your living room. Exactly. The living room was a basketball court. There was no furniture. <laughs> And there was a basketball court. So that's, that's my connection. And I own all the Godfather Polaroids. You know, back in the day, the continuity person would come over and take a Polaroid. Now they have a digital, right? They would take a Polaroid of the wardrobe and put scene number 12, uh, black suit. You know, uh, yeah, just... Russo, scene number 27, right. you know, gray, gray scarf. And, you know, just to, for continuity. And somebody one day sold them at one of these little auctions on Sunset Boulevard at one of these auction houses and i got like 200 continuity polaroids wow but uh pacino wow. duval coppola i mean i have I'm, I'm just gonna really quick just show you one of the great one of the great um um oh here's my picture of pacino that i took oh that's I met great you. you took that here's yeah here's me and dino de Laurentiis that was taken by helman newton Wow. Here's Johnny's favorite boxer. <laughs> wow. Um, here's Sammy. Here's Sammy. I didn't take that. My friend Phil Stern took this. And then I'm going to just show you one of my, my Godfather Polaroid. Look at this. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. It brings back memories, Johnny, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. That is classic. I was in the other room 48 years okay. ago. So I have all this. Here's Polanski and Bob Evans. Yeah. Uh, Man, I'm so proud of you, buddy. Thank you for doing the show. You. We appreciate you. I love you, man. I'll love you. Thanks for having me. That was fun. See you soon. Thanks, Brett. It was a Thank pleasure. You. All right. Okay, pleasure. Thank bye. you, Brett. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time to go to the mailbag. Famous right. part of my show. I love this. We have people sending us letters with we love the idea now you're taking our hint and reviewing us and whatever else we need to do the biggest thing we need to do is get more subscribers because we want to keep doing this so let's go to the mailbag and all right let's do it so first we have a message from karen karen says i've listened since the beginning and absolutely love the podcast the synergy between gianni patrick and megan the millennial is amazing my question is for Gianni. What part other than Carlo would you have picked to play in The Godfather? And two, how would the movies have been different if you had been cast as Michael? As a Godfather super fan, I really love hearing about anything to do with the movies. Please keep the stories coming. Well, I can't say that I would want to play anybody else than Carlo. I was just happy to be there. I mean, I, I would have played any part to get into the movie, but I don't think, as an actor, as a a critic of the movie. Nobody could have portrayed Michael other than Al Pacino. James Caan was perfect as the hothead son. I mean, the casting and the outcome of the movie, it's flawless to me. So, I mean, I can't egotistically say I want to play anybody other than Carlo. And Carlo's career for me right now, I'm 48 years in the, in the business, and more people say to me, 
than any movie, they come up back in, behind me and say, hello, Carlo. That's going on with <laughs> four generations of people now. <laughs> it's a classic line. Yeah. I see people commenting on your Instagrams all the time. It never, it never goes away. Mm -mm. By the way, you know, yesterday was the 49th anniversary of the... Uh, of the what? Joe Colombo, when he got shot 49 years ago yesterday. Yeah, I know. Really? His grandson I'm close to. Anthony's son. Mm -hmm. He's a lawyer. Good lawyer, too. In San Diego. Yep. That was the I'm March when Tommy Bellotti called me that morning. Are you going to the rally? I said, yeah. He said, no, you're not. <laughs> Rise. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> All right. Next one is from Phil. Phil says, love the show. A question for Gianni. I saw a 50-year reunion of the Godfather film. Everyone was there except Gianni. Was this due to your dislike of James Caan? Also, could you give more stories that involve Tony Curtis? I listened to your show in the Philippines. Keep the podcast coming. I was definitely not there because of James Caan. <laughs> Got that right. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, and we, we appreciate you listening to us in the Philippines. I was a good friend of you know, Malga Marcus. I've been there. I actually ate up in the private dining room in the in the palace many years ago but um yeah you, you guessed it right i wasn't there the 50th anniversary it wasn't no it was 25th anniversary the 50th anniversary is coming up i'll be there in jimmy conwell how's that one? <laughs> oh here we go all right so what about tony curtis would you share any more stories about him in the future yeah in the future come up with some questions ask megan we'll, we'll answer them just to come up with them randomly I could talk all night about Tony Curtis. We Maybe it's an episode. Yeah. All right. Next one is from Michael. Michael says, your podcast is amazing, especially when Gianni drops bombshells like, quote, I got Mickey Cohen's daughter pregnant, unquote, and leaves the audience hanging. Can you elaborate? More info would be helpful. Love you and haven't missed an episode yet. Well, that would have to be a whole episode. Ask the question again of how I did it. And, well, we know how I did it, but... The result of it is even funny. <laughs> yeah. You really just did, did you drop the bomb on that one that left everybody being like, wait, what? Love it. All right. Next one is from Kevin. Most importantly, thank you for an amazing podcast. I truly love hearing all the stories. It feels like I'm sitting in Gianni's living room chatting with old friends. I was born in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and was wondering if Gianni ever had any dealings with the mob in Toronto. I know the connection between Montreal and New York. Wondering if you can share anything about Canada. Well, I got still friends. I just appeared in the Niagara Falls view in Niagara on the Canadian side. And I have to say, there was about 100 years of good behavior. About 50 guys showed up that I haven't seen in a long time. Because a lot of guys, people don't realize, the largest population of Italians other than in Italy are in Canada. They never came over. Really? But they used to drive over and do work. They were called Zips at the time. Yeah. And there's okay. a couple of generations of kids that are very loyal, old Sicilians, and they're up there, man. Thank God. Hmm. All right. Next one is from JoJo. Jojo says, Gianni often refers to the phrase, keep your cards and letters coming. 
and seems like he often ponders where he heard that phrase. That was made famous by Dean Martin on his variety show. I enjoy the podcast. I think well, you're I being sarcastic when you say that, right? No, oh, I know. That. Not so, no, he used to say it every night at the end. Right. I figured you knew that. I could steal a phrase from him. He's my friend. <laughs> I stole all his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have all his shoes, then you can just steal his catchphrase too, right? It's only fair. All right, next one is from Aaron. First, I just want to say that the Mark Shaw episodes were great. I ate them up. That subject fascinates me to no end. But what I wanted to ask is of Gianni. Does Gianni have his album on iTunes? I love that you open the show every week with Luna Mezzo Mare. I've tried to look, but can't seem to find Gianni anywhere on iTunes. I would love to add some songs to my playlist. Well, it's funny you know that it's we out on say streaming? It's coming out. We're doing a whole thing. Uh, we're going to we'll be streaming. Uh, I mean, virtual. our virtual store opens in two weeks. We've had delays because of the pandemic. But they're releasing a couple of my early albums. And one of them called Reflections was Sinatra lent, lent me his 28-piece orchestra, orchestra from Caesar's Palace. So you have something to look forward to. And there's a, a lot of great music on it. It's called Reflections. Oh, great. And it'll be on iTunes. Amazing. All right, next is from Tony. Tony says, Johnny, any pictures of you and Elvis? Would love to see that. No, because, you know, that was before cameras. I mean, telephones had cameras. And these guys, when they went out at night, somebody put up phones when we were, I mean, even when Elvis was playing. Nobody took pictures then. I mean, could you imagine if his, his, his Memphis Mafia had pictures, what they would be worth? Now, mm. pictures came into, you know, they vogue now because everybody has a camera on them. Right. Would have been cool to see. It's unfortunate. Oh, yeah. All right, next one is from Lynn. Lynn says, love the podcast and waiting to see the live show in Vegas. And since I'm from Vegas, we remember a lot of the history. Do you know whatever happened to Frank Rosanna that owned the Serene Room in Maryland Square? <laughs> Well, the Serene Room in Maryland Square is was a hangout for Tony Spilatro and all of them. And I don't know what happened to them. And that's a totally different, that was Chicago. But I think um, he met his demise. Let's just put it that way. Mm. All right. Next is from George. George says, the five families all based in the five boroughs controlled the city. The mega-billionaire family, the Rockefellers, were also in New York City. What were the overlaps? There were none. Ones that are legitimate. But if you're the Rockefellers, you're not, you're not going to be hanging out with mob people. And the mob people were smart enough to leave them alone. You didn't need them. So, no, I mean... All right. And there you go, George. <laughs> All right, next one is from Bill. Bill says, Gianni, I just watched your interview with Sean Atwood. I have listened to his podcast for over a year, as well as Patrick Butt David's Valuetainment. Small world, but I seem to find you everywhere lately. I live in Las Vegas, and I've made custom suits for 30 years. Let's get together for dinner at Michael's next time you're in Vegas. Looking forward to the movie. Thank you. Thank you. And is exactly Michael still open? What's that? What was that, Pat? Exactly what Gianni needs, another suit. Yeah, another suit and, <laughs> and dinner. <laughs> That's a, that you'll be beautiful. Yeah. But it's so funny that he says that because 
I feel the same way. I feel like within the last year or two, it's like we, we see you everywhere. I see you everywhere. My family sees you everywhere, whether it's TMZ or, you know, Daily Mail. And now you've got Vlad TV and Sean Atwood and Valutainment. It's amazing. Well, it's, we're, well, it's the success that we're all sharing together with this. We're not done. I mean, Pat wrote a great book. We have a podcast from it. We have so much happening with it. And I'm just going to keep capitalizing on everything. And over the next 18 months, you're all going to be blown away with what we're doing with The Godfather and all surrounding materials from it now. So it's, all right. it's all good. Good stuff. Well, that's all I have for tonight. I think that's a good note to uh, end on. What do you think? I think it's perfect. We all here want to thank all of you out there in radio, computer, TV land everywhere. <laughs> we love you all. As Dean would say, now that we let the cat out of the bag, keep those cards and letters coming. <laughs> Please. Good night. God all bless right. you all. Good night, everyone. Good night, Johnny. Good night, Pat. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. Or when it seems your friends desert you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night. Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here, announcing the release of the second book in the Ray Yale Private Investigator series titled Pop Line. In this outing, Yale journeys to Pennsylvania to help a deceased friend's sister who has been charged with the murder of her police officer husband. An outsider doesn't sit well with the local cops and Pittsburgh organized crime figures, which leads Yale down a treacherous path of deception, murder, and a crime so ingenious that it has never been duplicated in mystery fiction. Popline is available exclusively on Amazon.com.